Welcome to Season 2 of True Enough. Brandon McCowan and Catherine Duvall are your podcast hosts. This season we will discuss many cases, from missing persons and murder to the paranormal. Every episode brings you true facts and suggested theories. This week's podcast is about the disappearance of Kurt Sova. Kurt Sova lived with his parents and siblings in Newburgh Heights, Ohio, a suburb of Cleveland. He was the youngest of four sons and was very close to his parents. His parents recalled that he never got into any trouble. On Friday, October 23rd in 1981, he left his house in the afternoon. A block away, he met up with a friend. The friend suggested that they go to a Halloween party at a duplex two miles away. Kurt never returned home that night. By Saturday morning, Kurt's parents were worried. His mother, Dorothy, called his friends while his father, Ken, searched the neighborhood for him. On Sunday, the Sovas registered Kurt as a missing person with the Cleveland police. Dorothy placed missing persons flyers in stores throughout the neighborhood. That afternoon, she learned that Kurt had gone to the party at the duplex. She decided to go there and speak with the woman who hosted the party. However, when she arrived at the duplex, the woman wasn't there. Another girl was there who was babysitting. That girl said that the party hostess was at work at the time. Dorothy told the babysitter to have the woman call her. The woman did call her later that night. However, she said she did not see Kurt, nor did she have a party that night. Despite the claims to Dorothy, a pizza delivery man claimed that there was indeed a party at the duplex that Friday night. Dorothy contacted the woman again. This time, the woman admitted that Kurt was at the party. The party was composed of people from nearby Detroit, of which Kurt was one of the youngest and people to which he had never been acquainted with prior. Guests later commented that he had been drinking Everclear, the strongest drink on the market and illegal in many parts of the United States. The news surprised Kurt's friends and family as they did not know him to be a drinker. Also, his skinny build and lack of past drinking experience did not give him a high tolerance for anything remotely like Everclear. Kurt's friend later said that he took an intoxicated Kurt outdoors for some fresh air during the party, leaving him hanging on a chain-link fence nearby. When he returned shortly with Kurt's jacket, Kurt had vanished. It was not known if he had stumbled off into the back country due to his drunken state or if he had been abducted. His family feared that he met with foul play since the woman who hosted the party had changed her story a few different times. One day after he vanished, Kurt's parents registered him as a missing person and papered the neighborhoods and local businesses with leaflets looking for him. Shortly after, the woman who hosted the party contacted Dorothy again, stating that Kurt had indeed slept on a cot in her basement. Dorothy was reluctant to believe the hostess uh, on the basis of the multiple lies she had already told, but her husband, Ken, inspected the basement nevertheless. He did not find Kurt nor did he find any evidence of Kurt having been there. But he did find a cot which looked like it had been recently used. 
Six days after the party on Wednesday, October 28, three little boys were exploring a ravine on Harvard Street, 500 yards from the duplex. They found Kurt's body. He was wearing a bright yellow t-shirt which stood out from the natural tones of the ground, as well as barefoot. Police could not find any signs of assault. His body suffered no injuries, except for a few minor scrapes and bruises as a result of being barefoot. Nor could police find his right shoe, although his left shoe was found wedged in a pile of rocks nearby. The cause of Kurt's death could not be determined. Coroners later concluded that he died naturally or accidentally, but it was not accepted by his family. The autopsy also revealed that he had been dead between 24 and 36 hours. However, he had been missing for five days. Furthermore, Kurt's father, Ken, claimed that he had searched the ravine on Monday and Kurt was not there. The Sovas believe that Kurt's body was dumped that evening on Tuesday. They believe that he died in the duplex and was transported to the ravine. Okay, so listeners, I just want to apologize in advance. I'm just getting over a cold or still have a cold. So if I sound a little weird, that's why. It's not COVID. It's not COVID. I was tested. <laughs> um, I probably swear. So as you know, listeners, from um, listening to the to the intro on the facts of the case, Kurt Sova um, went to a party, a Halloween party, and he was never seen from again. Um, his mother went to... Uh, finally found out about the party that he went to and went to that house. At first, the woman said that she'd never had a party. And then she turned around and said, oh, yeah, I did. And Kurt was here. Maybe she was not familiar with Kurt. I don't know if there was a familiarity there before the party or even during the party. I don't know if they knew each other beforehand. My understanding was that Kurt did not know her. My, uh, my understanding is that the um, that Kurt and his friend um, were uh, Kurt definitely didn't know the people at the party. They were of an older age than Kurt and his friend. Yes, that's and right. He was he was the youngest, one of the youngest there. Right. Kurt. The friend that brought Kurt to the party knew the hosts better than Kurt did, um, but not even he didn't know them that well. Right. So he's at the party. Uh, some people have reported that he was drinking. Everclear, he, which was surprising to some of his close friends because they didn't think he was a big drinker. He was kind of a, a kind of tall, skinny dude. Um, Everclear, for those of you who don't know, it is an extremely potent um, alcohol that I don't even I don't even know if they still make it anymore. But it was also illegal in several states. They they they, they still make it. I know because I have a bottle of it in my house because it's been a long week. No. Just kidding. Just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. Uh, no, I, uh, a couple months ago, I actually used it to make um, uh, this recipe that's called uh, vanilla moonshine. It's not moonshine, moonshine. I made it in the Instant Pot. It kind of sounds like it's moonshine. Right? <laughs> I mean, it I'm definitely, I can tell you after making it and drinking it, it definitely feels like moonshine. And for that, stay tuned to our <laughs> next podcast that we're in development of where we discuss weird drink recipes <laughs> and how to avoid them. <laughs> but but I, I make that that I, I tell you to to make this point is that it's it's like 90% alcohol. It's grain alcohol is yeah. what it is. Some people use it to clean things with. Oh god. Right, cuz it's that I didn't know that. It's like a disinfectant. And uh, I believe a key, you can also use it to remove corrosion off of batteries. Yeah, so if that tells very, you anything. It's very serious stuff. Yes. So I made this. I put this in I made this as part of a recipe 
and I made basically a drink that whenever I drank it, it just put me to sleep. Uh, <laughs> so, <laughs> it's, it's that strong. Wow. Uh, is that what you made that root beer? Man- yeah, yeah. It's, it's root beer. It's, 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 it's root beer. That I literally, yeah. folks, I will attest to this. I took three sips of that and like had to take a nap. It, yeah. was, it was awesome, but horrifying. So that's moonshine or that's, I'm sorry, that's not moonshine. That's, that's the grain alcohol mixed with you know water and sugar. Imagine. I just and in college I did drink Everclear straight. Mm-hmm. I don't really remember much after I drank it straight. So again, so the, <laughs> uh, both our stories uh, right. give uh, a credence to the fact that this is strong. It's stuff. very potent. It's very potent. And, and and Kurt was drinking this all night apparently. That's a lot, and for someone who didn't drink like that, that's crazy. But again, this is hearsay, so I don't know. I don't know how much of that is really what happened. He could have very well had the same glass of it in his hand all night and only been taking a few sips. Or maybe he didn't have any. It's hearsay amongst a a few people at the party. So, I mean, I don't have any reason to believe that that isn't the case, but it's possible that 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 wasn't There's no account saying, oh, he wasn't drinking at all or anything like that. No, no, there is absolutely no one who said... He didn't have anything yeah. to drink all night. He was sober. And what do young teenagers go and do at a place with alcohol? They drink it. Right. So I'm, I'm inclined to believe that he did drink this. I agree. And drink it to I excess. Agree. I agree. I mean, that's usually what teenagers do and not understanding the possible effects of something that strong. I think it is very plausible um, that, well, let me backtrack a little. Uh, he got. He was apparently very inebriated. His friend took him outside to let him have some air, and realized that he he was going to take him home, and realized that his jacket was inside. He went back in to get his to get Kurt's jacket, and when he came back out, Kurt was not there. He left Kurt braced on a chain link fence, and Kurt was not there. I did not was not able to get a bird's eye view of exactly what that area looked like. I know his body was found later in a uh, um, uh, ravine, and I don't know how close to that chain link fence the ravine was. But my understanding is, it's only like 500 yards away from the house. Right. So that's not a huge distance, but from where the chain link fence was, where he was last seen, to where his body was found, I don't have a visual. Of that, there's no drawing anywhere. There's no sketch. There's no nothing. I've, I've seen a map, um, which oh, I'll, 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 oh, I'll, I'll find and I'll, I'll, I'll post, um, or I'll, I'll give a link to it in the in the show notes. Great. And between the 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 where the chain link fence was, where the where the house where the party was, or the duplex, and then farther down the main strip is the um, big warehouse, and behind that ravine, behind the warehouse is the ravine, and. To get from that chain link fence or the, or the duplex to where he was uh, found uh, dead, it's a lot of it's a lot of back roads. It's a lot of small, tiny roads that uh, one could, could take or get lost in. If you're that inebriated, it is highly plausible that you could kind of stumble around for a while and eventually end up perhaps falling into this ravine. Uh, I mean, it's if you're drinking that much of that potent of alcohol. I think it's very plausible that he could have just wandered and fallen into that ravine. There are some very shady aspects to this case, like the girl saying, denying she had the party, but 
I don't know how old that girl was either. Maybe she didn't want her parents to find out that she had a party. I can say like, you know, being a, a 20 something that I, cause I really didn't drink until I was like 21 and in my twenties, I drinking to excess, drinking really to excess. Um, I, there have been points in, in, in one of those nights where if I was put someplace and, and I was just told to stay there relax or just chill out for a second, uh, if someone showed up later on and was like, oh, okay, uh, it's, it's, if it's been five minutes. We're going to take you home. I would literally think that I've been there for two hours. Yeah. And I mean, when, when you're that drunk, you kind of lose all sense of, yeah. of time and place and all that. So, so I can imagine if he's so drunk, I can imagine the, the, the circumstance if he's so drunk, he's, he's there for well, probably like 30 seconds, but he could probably think like, oh, I've been here too long. Right. I'm, I'm going to go he's, walk home. He just left me. I might as well find my way home. Exactly. And then ended up meandering through these bunch of streets and possibly wandered into this ravine. I mean, it was also reported that when he was found, one of his shoes was missing, um, that they never found, uh, which is interesting to me and yet not interesting to me. I mean, I kind of feel like he could have lost his shoe along the way. I don't know how well it was tied. Um, he that he, It's very plausible that he was walking and he stumbled and his shoe came off and he was like, ah, oh, screw this. And he picked up his shoe and hucked it somewhere, you know. <sighs> Things happen when you're drunk. Um, and that's certainly not to make light of his situation. Um, but I think that that's, it, it's very plausible that that happened. And the shoe just has never been found because somebody ran across it and was like, oh, look, a shoe. This is weird. And threw it out, not thinking anything about it. Randomly on a side street, they found someone's shoe. Didn't think anything of it. So with this theory of he, he he gets really drunk and, and wanders off and gets into an accident or a misadventure the thing that really pokes a hole in that theory for me is the 3m phone call to his parents the day before he's found by the girl who hosts the party the girl at the duplex who says that uh there is a boy that may look like kurt in her basement that's sleeping I agree, which is, again, what causes some very shady kind of speculation on her. Um, so for three days, she didn't notice that there was somebody in her basement sleeping. It's either a, it's either true at the time. And then when uh, Kurt's father goes there to find to find Kurt, but he's not there in the basement, um, just a, a cot that looked like it had slept in. I, what, I don't necessarily think that that means anything. I, I don't know what is wrong with the girl who decided to call and make that statement. That's my thing is if it's a lie, what is the utility of that lie? Yeah, what, why, to, why bother? To why call bother? at 3 a.m. Right. And lie about that. I feel like there has to be utility to it. Uh, if, I feel like there's just it, two, if, if, but if at, it's the a, it's a, at the same time, I go back to for three days, she didn't notice that anyone was sleeping in her basement. I, I don't think that. I think... I think. Uh, Are you saying that Kurt just decided to live in her basement? I think there's. Unbeknownst to her. No, I think there's. I think she had full knowledge that Kurt was there, and that getting into my theory, Kurt drank too much, was really in bad shape. They had him rest in the basement, and he uh, passed away. And he, sh she felt so guilty that she called uh, the parents and said, "Oh, he, he may be here, but that body was moved." by the time Kurt's father showed up. I mean, that's 
I suppose that could be the case. Um, it is known that after 48 hours uh, after death, that blood alcohol content readings can be unreliable. It's it's known that uh, after death, chemical processes break down, a new chemical process happen uh, upon death that causes uh, alcohol to be distributed unevenly uh, throughout the body and in blood, uh, in, in different chemicals in the body. So it's unreliable to say that his blood alcohol content was definitely not at a level of uh, inebriation. I didn't actually see a toxicology report, so I don't know exactly what it says. They're saying it was like... I get that they're saying it. What I'm saying is that we don't have any proof of what exactly it says. They just say that it's not at a level of inebriation. The account that I take stock in is that he was drinking grain alcohol. I would take it to be that he was inebriated from that. I would too, but I'm saying we can't say for sure. I'm just saying in my theory that I believe he was inebriated to a lethal level. and It's quite possible. He, it's quite possible. And it, his his body started to shut down. And he, uh, as as the he was being taken care of, uh, either that night or, or the night or the day after, he passed away either from alcohol poisoning or dehydration related alcohol, oh, alcohol poisoning. So what happens? Well, how how does how does the girl that had this party how, or the people that in the duplex how do they react to this? They got to get rid of the body and all the evidence. Exactly. I would think exactly. So that would also mean there's no way she could have done that by herself. She would have had to have co-conspirators. I agree. I agree. That's that's possible. Yeah. But and they're teenagers. Teenagers yep. are never quiet. Why would they not have ratted on one another by now? I don't know. I, I don't, don't know either. I don't know. That, but, I, th- I think that's the I, only flaw. In I theory. think if I think it falls into. I think that falls into the next point of the account from uh, Angeline uh, Reddix that she related to the Sova's, uh, the parents uh, eight years later, about two boys. Oh, seeing the two boys dragging the... Two, two boys dragging two, the body. Toward, was, it, was it two boys or was it two men? It was two... Or uh, could she not, maybe? It was two males. Okay. Two males dragging... Uh, the body toward the ravine, and she doesn't say specifically how they're dragging, or I couldn't find an account of how how they're dragging. But consider this: what would be the easiest way for two boys to carry a body at to, night to, to to ravine? But it's during the not in the middle of the but day. It was during the day, well, apparently. But to her seriously, the, here's what I don't get: like, how dumb are these but, kids? But, but, so, in the middle of the day, you're going to drag a body 500 yards to a ravine I, and just hope I'm, that nobody sees you. I'm, I'm, I'm surmising, supposing that they're not dragging the body so much as they're carrying it sh- with like firefighter Kurt, style? Kurt's shoulders or Kurt's arms slung over each of their shoulders. Oh, like weekend. Like, like, like we, <laughs> sorry to say, sorry to make that illusion. But yes, weekend at Bernie's like, because, because wow. think about this. Think about how his body was found. Yeah. Arms open. It's kind of splayed out. Yeah. That, yeah. It, that's exactly how it, the body would fall. If the two boys kneeled down and unslung Kurt off and of the just backs. yeah uh, and just yeah yeah okay I, I see what you're saying I see what you're saying so the the call at 3 a.m. to the parents that was says, a guilty admission it was a guilty admission that says Kurt is here but then between that time and between the time the other two Kurt's guys fa- showed up and were like what were you doing Kurt, yeah exactly and then then Kurt's father shows up and, and Kurt and, is Kurt isn't there that body was moved and put down in the ravine. Because did, did because, they ever do? Did they ever bring any kind of forensics into the basement to determine if he had in fact been there? They ne- they I ne- mean, it's 1981, right. so we take it with a grain. There's of salt no record anyway, of any right. forensics. The, the police. I mean, we'll, we can talk about the investigation a little bit later, but the police never even searched the duplex. Ah, shocker there. 
and in that ravine, Kurt's Kurt's father had been there 24 hours earlier and had searched that ravine. Definitely would have seen Kurt with the yellow shirt in the ravine. Right. Uh, and he says he didn't see anybody. So that body was not there in that ravine 24 hours earlier. Did he search that exact spot? I think I th I'm. I'm <laughs> like, I mean, I, well, you I, can play Johnny skeptical you want on this, but I, well, I, and you I, I know think, me. That's what I, I like think, to do. I think it's a safe assumption that he would have seen Kurt in that ravine. I think it's be. also a safe assumption that he could have been a hundred yards further down and maybe never got to that exact spot. Maybe, but, but, maybe they they just didn't search that exact spot and never saw him. He is. I mean, I I get it. Grieving parents want to desperately cling to some sort of conspiracy or something we've seen it time and time again anyone who passes away you don't want to believe that they did it for some stupid ass reason you want them there has to be some reason why this happened sometimes there just isn't occam's razor I, I, I think they search parts of that ravine, but I don't think that they search that specific area. I don't. I don't see any utility in lying about that. Like, for I'm, I'm not saying he's deliberately lying. I'm mm. saying that he so desperately wants to believe that there is some sort of conspiracy. He really believes that he searched that specific area, but he may not have. I'm, and I'm, I haven't heard any any dissuasive argument against him that he hasn't searched the area. And, and I'm not saying that to diss the father in yeah. any way, shape, or form. I'm just saying when you are grieving and you have lost a child, you very often, your brain works in mysterious ways. And you think, wait, I was just there. I would have seen him even if you were 200 yards down and never actually got to that spot. Your brain jumps to that conclusion. It's not anything that is against the father or the family. You just desperately want to believe that someone is to blame other than the child. Okay. Is what I'm saying. Okay. I, I think that he okay. gave the Ravina a good search. No, and I'm just pointing out another <laughs> point of view. That So my, my theory to sum it up is alcohol poisoning was... Resting at the duplex, eventually passed away at the duplex. Um, the hosts of the party felt guilty, or at least the girl, the girl felt guilty. Had that weird 3 a.m. kind of admission called or whatever. Parents, friends of the girl, moved the body, and uh, he, he was found later. I think it's a plausible theory. Yeah. I, I do. I really do. As much as I like to give you shit all the time, I think it's a, <laughs> I think it's a plausible theory. My, I, I mean, my other concern about that is here you got three teenagers. Seriously? How in God's name would they keep quiet all these years about that? They didn't tell anyone that they did it. I mean, ugh, I kind of feel like that would have come out somewhere. And that um, eight year later admission of, oh, I saw two kids dragging a body. Why in the hell did you wait eight years? That was a huge case at that time. And you didn't think to mention it beforehand or before eight years later. I just don't understand. She, uh, she maintains, Angela Reddix maintains that she told the police about it and the police never followed up. But still, why not tell the parents? Not sure why. Not sure. Personally, if I saw something like that, I would be shouting it from the highest rooftop. If you know that this local kid was found murdered and you saw two teenagers dragging a body, first door I'm knocking on is the family. I'm just saying. That, I mean, that's, if, that's, if the that's, police that's, won't listen to you, that's, that's the first thing that I'm I'm doing. Right, right. I mean, that's, and that's you and I. But uh, this is, you know, this is in the 80s. Um, no, you know. People would not know, maybe have general knowledge at the time about how 
corrupt the police department was at the time. But let's not call them corrupt. We can call them negligent. I'm not so oh, sure. Oh, they were corrupt. Oh, oh, snaps. <laughs> I, I, I sense I sense some evidence I mean, coming. We can, yeah, we can talk about it. Uh, you probably know that the case file only had like four photos in it. None of the yep. none of them the, of the body at the scene of death or at the scene of, of, of where the body was found. Right. It was just a couple of pieces of paper. There were no witness statements. No one at the party had been questioned. Wow. The duplex was never searched by police, like I mentioned before. Um, the Cleveland Police Department, and this is another thing, too. I'm tempted to just be like, okay, just stop telling me this story. The, the Cleveland Police Department uh, offered assistance, but was turned away. Oh, my God. Uh, and here's, so here's the... Country bumpkin police. Well, here's, here's, this, here's this, like the another kicker to, to my theory is that the lead detective, Robert Karras, was convicted in 1991 of over 70 counts of drug trafficking and illegal processing of drug documents. Ooh, do you think maybe he was selling some drugs at that party? Exactly. Nice. I, I, if, if they had drugs at the party. And that's, it's another thing too. It's, it's, it's why would these people, this crowd at the party, not want to reveal that, that Kurt's there? Because maybe illicit substances were at that party. There would be questions about the party. Questions would come up about where those substances came from. And if that led to the police, then that gives the police a lot of inclination not to invest this case, investigate this case. But if the police officer was responsible for the drug traffic in the, trafficking in that area, then that would lead me to believe that the kids at the party would not have given a shit if the police were called because... They knew that the cop was giving them the drugs, so they wouldn't have cared. No, I think I think a, a dead body would trump trump all. Well, I, the the dead body, I'll give you that. Uh, <laughs> but I, I'm not so sure. The, when, when when you were talking about the illicit substances yeah. at the party, I'm not so sure the kids would have cared because they knew right. that the cop was giving them the drugs. They someone... weren't gonna. Again, I feel like if we had some sort of toxicology report, it would be so much better. But I can't find it anywhere. Right back to my previous point um if there's a dead body involved i think that that trumps the drug trafficking. that's going to go to a da so i wonder along those same lines then so let's say the kids knew that the cop was supplying them the drugs um the kid dies from alcohol poisoning or whatever in the basement are you suggesting that the girl makes the 3 a.m call before kurt dies or after I don't know. I don't know. Okay. I won't go that far. Okay. You don't want to speculate on that? <laughs> I'm speculating a lot already. I know. Uh, I just don't have enough information. Okay. Um, <clears throat> so let's say she makes the call right before he dies. He dies. Then the two other teenagers show up and they're like, what did you just do? I called the parents and they're like, oh my God. What's their first call? They're calling that cop. Right. Who arrives... And is like, I can't be a part of this. You got to get rid of the body, and tells them to get rid of the body. Right. And tells them how and where. Could be. Could be. At the very least, the police don't follow up. In, in, in and any... they do not do a complete investigation. At the very least, they're incredibly neg- negligent. They do. They don't do any investigation. They... No, and I don't understand. Like, you have a dead kid. What is wrong with you? Even in the '80s, they would have. I mean, that's just some bad police work right. right there it's it's negligence to the point of suspicion it i i agree i agree yeah i agree so and and the fact that years later it's shown that there was drug traffic drug trafficking involved on the part of the the lead detective 
on the case. It's also very possible that maybe he, the cop had nothing to do with any of it and that the drug trafficking was happening somewhere else. This is pure speculation on our part. Right. But it is an interesting caveat. Yes. Um, but yeah, so I agree with you there. There was also something else about his left shoe um, that was stuffed between some rocks, which is an interesting point as well. Um, I mean, for me, I think, uh, again, the simplest explanation is usually the correct one. I think Kurt was completely inebriated and stumbled and bumbled around on the side roads, lost his shoe and fell into the ravine. I mean, I just, I know that's probably not going to be a very popular explanation, but I think it's very plausible. I think a lot, a lot of the other explanations are kind of reaching. There are a lot of mysteries with this case. Um, I mean, the, the girl who had the party. Yeah. That's weird that first she denies it. She had the party denies that he was there. Then she admits it. Then she calls the parents and tells them someone's sleeping in her basement. She thinks it's Kurt. That's weird. I completely agree. Um, I don't really know that much about the girl. I don't know what type of person she is. Uh, perhaps she just likes to be involved in things. Perhaps she had nothing to do with it. Maybe she did. Um, I, I just personally feel like he just, it was just bad circumstances. And let this be a note, kids. If there's any teenagers listening to us, which I doubt there are. Don't get drunk! Drink responsibly. Drink responsibly, <laughs> please. This is the type of crap that happens when you don't. To uh, review on my, to, to recoup on my theory, I think uh, it was definitely alcohol poisoning um, of some sort, um, combined with dehydration that uh, led to uh, Kurt's, Kurt's demise. Uh, I think there was negligence on part of the hosts of the party. Oh, agreed. Um, and there was little to no investigation, in fact, really no investigation done because of the illicit substances involved. And I think there's a connection between how the substances were provided to the hosts of the party and uh, the uh, Newburgh PD. And uh, I think the Newburgh PD would not investigate because of that connection, uh, which is unfortunate because this is a uh, circumstance that could have been solved if a proper investigation had been done the time it happened. Agreed. Agreed. And unfortunately, once again, folks, I think that's true enough. That's true enough. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of True Enough. This episode was written and produced by your co-hosts, Catherine Duvall and Brandon McCown. Thanks go out to our research and music sources, which are listed in our show notes. If you have questions, comments, or a case you would like us to investigate, you can email us at trueenoughnation at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook or on Twitter at enough underscore true. True Enough is distributed through Anchor. You can find us on Anchor at anchor.fm slash true-enough. From there, you can support this podcast with a small monthly donation to help sustain production of future episodes. Also, please subscribe to us on whatever podcast app you prefer, and join us in every episode, where we try to determine what is true enough to be believed.